Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. I want to see science serve a useful purpose to improve the standard of living for all people. Why is anyone fighting food advance? A very small percentage of the world's population is fortunate enough to have the luxury of turning down food. We've arranged a society based on science and technology. There was nobody understands anything about science and technology. You can't build a peaceful world on empty stomachs and human misery. You're listening to Talking Biotech, a weekly podcast illuminating issues in agricultural and medical biotechnology. Your questions and concerns are addressed using a science-based approach with the goal of driving discovery to application with communication. Now here's your host, Dr. Kevin Folta. Welcome to the Talking Biotech Podcast. It's the weekly podcast about medicine and agriculture and the scientific breakthroughs in biotechnology that really enhance the good things we can do in those disciplines. My name's Kevin Folta, and today we're talking with Dr. Dan Voitas. Uh, Dr. Voitas is a professor of genetics at the University of Minnesota in St. Paul, and he's also the chief science uh, officer at Calixt, the Calixt company. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Dan. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm really excited that you're here because I've wanted to talk to you about your company and your technology for a long time. Um, I saw the Calix CEO last year at um, ABIC, ABIC up in uh, North Dakota, gave a great talk. And we talk a lot about genetic improvement on this podcast. And we're really starting to talk more and more about gene editing. But when we talk about gene editing, it always goes to CRISPR-Cas9. And from my vantage point, you've been doing gene editing for a while now. So if you could, could you just tell us a little bit more about, let's start out with gene editing. What is gene editing and how is that different than what we think of as transgenic-based genetic engineering? So gene editing is really uh, the process of going into a living cell and making very precise alterations to the cell's genetic code. Um, in plants, we can edit, modify the genome of a plant cell, and then from that cell, we can grow back an entire plant. So it really allows us to create, in our case at Calix, the new crop varieties, uh, varieties that have you know, enhanced uh, features like uh, an improved nu nutrition content or plants that better withstand pests and pathogens. And it all gets down to our ability to make these modifications to the genetic code to give the plants these attributes, these, you know, enhanced features. And, and when we look at uh, these enhanced features and the, the way you do this, the actual mechanism, how mm -hmm. is your company's approach different from most of the way that people think about gene editing? Yeah. So in order to edit a gene, you need a reagent. 
uh, a reagent that can hone in on, find a very specific site in the genome, the site that you want to modify. And there are several reagents that do this very effectively. Uh, CRISPR-Cas um, is a reagent and a class of reagents um, that have received a lot of attention lately in, in, in the press. Um, we developed at the University of Minnesota, we invented a reagent called a talon, which also can find a site in the genome, the site that you want to modify, um, uh, and allow us to make these very precise and targeted modifications to the genetic code. And there are others, zinc finger nucleases, meganucleases. So we sort of have an arsenal of these reagents available to us. And as I said, they're all really very effective at accomplishing the outcome, the editing of the genome. Yeah, so it is really just adding some sort of an enzyme, in this case, something called talnuclease. But it, you're adding an enzyme, uh, and it's very parallel to CRISPR in this regard. You're providing this reagent, this enzyme that can actually do some sort of an amendment to DNA, maybe a cut or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, maybe a small deletion. But then you give it specific targeting by um, by using DNA sequence flanking the area in, that you wish to modify. It, is that's how CRISPR works. Is that the same thing with talon? Mm -hmm. So talons are proteins, and we design the proteins so that they'll find the site in the genome that we want to modify. So they're very specific, and, and you know, a genome is large. You know, the human genome is over 3 billion bases. Corn is comparable in size. And so with all of that genetic information, we need a reagent that's specific enough to find the site in the genome we want to modify. So for talons... As I mentioned, the targeting mechanism is based on these proteins we design that can find that site in the genome. They can recognize specific sequences. And then, as you mentioned, they then introduce a cut, a break. And then we direct that, uh, the repair of that broken chromosome um, in, in the manner that we wish. Uh, we can remove DNA. We can replace or edit, do true edits to the, to the genetic code um, after the chromosome is broken. So CRISPR is also a DNA-breaking reagent. It just targets by a different mechanism. Talons are protein-based targeting. CRISPR is an RNA-based targeting mechanism. It's achieved through base pairing between RNA and the DNA target. And that's maybe something we should clarify just for this particular audience, is that there are a number of different DNA-binding proteins that have specificity as to where they bind, actually quite a few of them. But it's mm -hmm. basically, the and if you look at these things in crystal form, they either look like saddles or like maybe like uh, like they actually have projections that feel into the uh, the groove of the DNA helix, into the minor groove especially of the DNA helix, and the protein can interpret where it is and and what sequence is there, and so you can specifically design the protein to find those spots, and it, it's really amazing that you can do that because how how do you make a change to a protein and know what sequence it's going to attack. Yeah, so the, the, tal, the talons are actually um, made up of these protein motifs, these modules which, as you described, reach into the major groove of DNA and make a contact with the base. And we have really four different tal motifs. One recognizes G, one A, one T, and one C. Um, and so... You know, if we want to get target a specific sequence in the genome, we just string together these tau motifs, selecting the, the one that we want to target, whatever sequence is present um, in the site that we want to modify. 
So we usually um, string together, you know, 16 to 18 of these motifs so that they recognize a 16 to 18 base signature in the genome. And that provides really a high degree of specificity, allowing us to find that one site in the genome we want to modify. It's really, really amazing that it has this kind of power and specificity. And do you, now when, let's go backwards maybe a touch in that to introduce this protein that does this edit, is this mm-hmm. the kind of thing where you can, um, say, infiltrate this in the cells and create the change and then regenerate a plant from the cells? Or do you create a transgenic plant with the instructions to create the tau protein? Yeah, our, our preferred way of editing a plant cell is to introduce uh, the tau reagent into the cell, um, and then it does its modification. It creates the edit um, but it never becomes sort of incorporated into the genome. That said, in some cases, we do actually integrate the talon into the plant's uh, genetic code into the genome. It does the editing that, that we wish to achieve, and then we can, seg- we can cross that integrated talon construct away. So the final plant that we create only has the intended modifications, the edits, uh, that we wanted to achieve in the first place, and we then remove through the process of crossing uh, the talon reagent. So there are different ways to accomplish it, but in the end, the plant only has the modifications uh, that we so desire. And, and that's really important from a regulatory standpoint. You're not carrying like foreign agrobacterium sequences. You're not carrying anything else. Not that that matters, but that's what people find objectionable, and where many of the uh, where a lot of the pushback up against technology has occurred around those foreign sequences. So in essence, your final product, is it equivalent in all respects to what you could potentially achieve with traditional breeding if, say, you had, uh, you know, uh, uh, 10,000 years? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, mutations occur spontaneously. It's sort of a natural process. Genomes evolve and change over time. A traditional plant breeder who's interested in a particular trait, he might survey, let's say you're working in soybean, you might survey, you know, hundreds of different soybean varieties to find the one that has the genetic variation that you're interested in. What gene editing allows us to do is just go into the cell and make that modification directly. So it's a very, it's a, it saves a lot of time. We're going in and we know from the from the beginning of the experiment, we know the kind of modification we want to make, and we can just go create it. We don't have to search um, among, you know, natural occurring varieties. And, and sometimes the variation isn't present. So in the past, people have used chemical mutagens or x-rays and ionizing radiation uh, to create genetic variation. And those processes are random. They occur throughout the genome. So, you know, you create a lots of mutations and hopefully get the one you want. Again, with gene editing, you just go in and make the modification, only the modification you desire. And that's really important when we discuss this with the public and and with people who are skeptical about new technologies, is that we understand a lot of the mutations that cause important changes in plants, like changes to drought resistance or disease resistance especially. We understand Mm -hmm. what those mutations are, but we understand the mutations, say, in sorghum, but we don't know the mutation 
we, we don't have that mutation present in corn germplasm to be able to breed it into corn. So it allows you to translate what we understand from one plant species or one crop species to another without actually having to have that variation present. You create the variation. Is yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's a really good, yeah, the example you gave is there's actually a real-world example of, of where that approach uh, was taken. So, for example, in barley, there are strains of barley that are resistant to powdery mildew, uh, which can cause a significant loss in, in barley yields. It's a fungal pathogen. And there, the resistance is due to a mutation in a gene called MLO. Uh, my colleague, Chai Sha Gao, in, in China, she recognized this and then went into wheat and made the same mutation and then created a powdery mildew-resistant wheat. So you can take advantage of your understanding of genes, how they work, how they confer traits of value, like resistance to pathogens, and then recreate those mutations in, in another species, um, as was done in this case. Yeah, really cool. So it's really it, it, it's a, such a powerful tool for translational biology, being able to create the changes we want to see in the place we need to see them. So really cool stuff. Um, so we're here on the Talking Biotech podcast. We're talking with Professor Dan Voitas up at the University of Minnesota uh, in the Department of Genetics, but also the Chief Science Officer of Calyxt, C-A-L-Y-X-T, um, for those of you who want to check it out on the web. And their technology of using talon nucleases in order to, well, talon uh, approaches to be able to, talon nucleus is like saying ATM machine, you know. It's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what, is, what, what exactly does talon stand for? for transcription activator like effector nucleases yeah, it's a it's a mouthful so hence we just call them talons but uh, it's a it's a name it has you know historically um, the proteins were named for their their function when they were described in nature and then we've sort of used them manipulated them to achieve gene editing for us yeah, you know, and I, I should have asked that question up front, but, you know, the, the thing I always laugh about is how we as scientists come up with these uh, acronyms, and then we don't think that when this goes commercial, how it's going to be used against us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because uh, you can see the memes now of something grasped in the talons, right? You know, maybe, right, is there a exactly. way you, can you, can you make it talent and put a T on the end? <laughs> <laughs> well, a few of my colleagues have made t-shirts that says, we are talented. Yeah. Yeah, there you so, go. <laughs> we've played with it for sure. <laughs> well, really good. We'll be back with the rest of the Talking Biotech podcast in just a moment. The Talking Biotech podcast has one goal, and that's to get you excited about your food, new technologies, and the good things we can do when we put the two together. We live in a time of great innovation and discovery, yet... The new findings are slow, oftentimes, to reach the public. And, and why is that? Because of the tremendous misunderstanding, coupled to a complacent population that would rather err to the side of caution, rather than implement safe technology that can help farmers, consumers, and the planet. And that's why it's so important that you listen and share the stories of agricultural technology that's why this podcast is important, because it provides you with access to the experts that tell the beautiful stories of the genetic improvement of crops, animals, and medicines. So please make sure you complete a review on iTunes, 
share the podcast with a friend, listen to it around the dinner table, and share the stories of the secret lives of the botanical critters in each layer of that seven-layer salad. With your help, we can move agricultural innovation to application, and that happens with communication. We're all in this together to bring safe and affordable technologies that help our people and our planet. Welcome back to the Talking Biotech Podcast. Uh, today we're talking with Dr. Dan Voitas from University of Minnesota and also the Chief Science Officer at Calix uh, Corporation uh, up in Minnesota. And uh, they're a company that specializes in gene editing using these specialized nucleases that identify sequences in DNA and make a very um, precise amendments to the molecule. In the first part of the podcast, we talked about how it works, and we talked about the mechanism that these proteins can modify DNA. But in the second part, let's talk about some of the products. And can you give us just a peek at the Calyx pipeline? Like, what are some of the specific solutions you have that uh, are moving towards deregulation? Yeah, no, I'd be happy to. Uh, One of our first product is a soybean variety. Um, This soybean variety makes an oil that has a number of valuable attributes. It's improved over traditional conventional soybean oil. Um, So um, in the past, soybean has some drawbacks as as an oil for cooking and frying, for example. Um, And in the past, people have chemically modified soybean oil Um, So partially hydrogenated soybean oil has been made to sort of improve the shelf life and its frying characteristics. Uh, One outcome of this, unfortunately, is that uh, the soybean oil, when processed in this fashion, produces trans fatty acids. Uh, The Food and Drug Administration has said that, you know, next year in the U.S., trans fatty acids have to be banned from uh, the diet of, you know, in the United States. So what we did is we went into soybean and we tweaked a few genes. We inactivated a few genes to change the fatty acid composition of the soybean oil. And the product that we created, the soybean oil uh, that we created, really has a fatty acid composition similar to heart-healthy oils like olive oil or canola oil. And so by just inactivating a few genes, we've created a variety that can produce this uh, oil that will be beneficial and healthier for consumers and we're getting ramp we're ramping up now at the company to begin to to market to commercialize this product um, and we hope to do so our our first product our product launch will be uh, next year in 2018 Wow, that's really cool. I mean, I know that other companies have been working on similar approaches, but using other strategies like, you know, uh, whether it's RNAi or more traditional genetic modification methods. Mm-hmm. And, and is your advantage different in the regulatory side or, or you know, how, do, how do you tease that apart? Yeah, no, that's a good point. So companies like Monsanto and DuPont Pioneer, they also have soybean varieties that uh, have a fatty acid, the oil has a fatty acid composition similar to ours. Those products are what I would call a traditional GMO in the sense that they have foreign DNA added to the genome, a construct, an RNAi construct, as you alluded to, that um, changes the activity of the enzyme that, uh, that we targeted using our talons. 
And so the end product is for those companies, Monsanto and DuPont Pioneer, is that the product is a transgenic GMO product. It has foreign DNA in its genome, and it's regulated accordingly. Um, we've taken our product to the USDA um, when because we wanted to grow it out in the field and see how it behaved, and, and they determined that our product was not regulated. That is, in essence, it's really very similar to um, a product that has a mutation that could have occurred spontaneously or through natural processes. Wow, that's really this. That's such a huge deal. And and what about? Um, I mean, you could even market this towards organic markets, right? And there's no. Have they made any statements or decisions about how they would consider something that was gene edited? Yeah. So it's my understanding, actually, that gene edited products cannot be considered uh, organic. So uh, the association that sets the rules and regulations for ag- organic foods really wants to stay away from biotechnology. There are some uh, bodies like the, uh, those, the regulators for, for organic foods who really want to distinguish biotech products from natural occurring products. Yeah, it's a little bit sad because this seems like such a cool solution for them that here you could have this higher quality, more healthy oil coming from a uh, from a plant that carries essentially a mutation that could have occurred spontaneously but just was installed with great precision. It it seems kind of strange. But, but what other kinds of products do you have in the pipeline right now? Well, uh, we actually have a, a pretty rich pipeline of 19 or more products um, in a variety of plant species. So wheat, soybean, uh, we're working now on alfalfa uh, and a handful of others. Um, most of our first products are consumer focused. So like the soybean product, uh, we're interested in creating uh, products that have enhanced value to the consumer. In this case of soybean oil, that's, that's healthier. Well, we're also looking at wheat. Uh, for example, we've talked about reducing gluten in wheat um, or perhaps changing the fiber composition of wheat. Um, so those are sort of consumer-focused products. And then uh, we also have uh, farmer-focused products. Uh, we just uh, uh, indicated that uh, the USDA has given clearance to an alfalfa variety that we're creating in partnership with SNW Seeds. Um, and alfalfa, of course, is consumed by, you know, animals like like cows and, and the like. And so here we're trying to make uh, an alfalfa that uh, will serve as a better forage crop, as a better food uh, for these farm animals. Yeah, and it, I, I noticed this on the website, and I would encourage listeners to go take a look there. It really is a pretty rich pipeline of diverse products. Uh, some of them are kind of redundant with what other companies have been working on, um, just because, you know, as you mentioned before, it's just another way you're doing this without any of the um, baggage of, of being referred to as a GMO. Um, you're uh, making a change without any footprints you know left behind or any uh you know and and this is what is always kind of interesting is that some people have categorized this type of technology especially you know activist groups opposed to biotechnology in any form um as being like the most uh you know horrible kind of of genetic modification how do you feel about that well yeah i mean it's it's an enormously powerful technology as you as you alluded to 
um, we can now go into plant genomes and make these precise mo modifications. We can take advantage of all we learned over the past few decades about how plant genes function and create genetic variation that's going to improve plant performance, whether it's for the consumer or the or the farmer. So, you know, the uh, you know agriculture is under a lot of pressure. You know, a growing world population, uh, changing. And, and more erratic uh, weather patterns and climate. Um, and so uh, n new outbreaks of pests and pathogens. So this technology really allows us to uh, produce more food, healthier food. Um, and from my point of view, it would be a shame to not take advantage of the opportunity the technology provides um, and so, I mean, granted, I am a fully supportive of careful and uh, regulation, careful, thoughtful regulation. But I would, it would be a shame to shelf this technology and, and not see it being used to its 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 full purpose and and the opportunity it provides. No, it's, I agree a thousand percent. And that's what's so important about this is that you know safety always is first, especially when we're dealing with food or farming or environment. Mm -hmm. And so this is. The precision of this and our ability to assess the the nature of the change after the fact really is what is so powerful here is that you can say we want to make this change, go in and make that change, and then test later to see if the change was made so it's it's not, or if there was even collateral change and so this is why this kind of technology is so important and so directed. Uh, is there anything going on in animal systems using this type of technology? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, all animals, including humans. <laughs> so, you know, if you can go in and edit the genetic code, uh, you can imagine that if you inherit uh, a disease that's caused by a mutation, um, and there are many, you know, muscular dystrophy, cystic fibrosis, um, to just name a few, um, if you have the capacity to go in and edit uh, the genome, you could go in and correct those mutations and and thereby overcome uh, the disease. Um, uh, Calyx was formed um, we, by, uh, we're an outgrowth of Selectus, which is a company that uses gene editing in the human health sphere. Um, so their principal focus is to harvest white blood cells, which normally would target an invading virus or bacterium, their, their objective is to edit the genome of those white blood cells so that now they'll target uh, cancer. Um, and already they've had some success in this regard. So, uh, it, you know, there's many applications in human health and then also animal agriculture. Um, there's an, uh, a few companies that have sprung up that are, that are trying to, in the same way that we're editing plant uh, crops. They're trying to edit, edit livestock uh, for improvement. Yeah, I've seen a lot of those breakthroughs. Um, in, in animals, certainly the attempts to make uh, swine immune to the African uh, swine fever virus, the, uh, uh, the bulls with the pulled, uh, the pulled calves that don't grow horns, those kinds of things, really, really cool. And then some of the stuff, and it may have been the company you mentioned, um, actually editing white blood cells to attack uh, recognize cancer receptors 
uh, on I recognize cancers through these modified receptor sur- cell surface uh, receptors. And then um, last night it was actually kind of funny. I was on Twitter and someone said, you know, you mad scientists, uh, you think you know better than evolution in making genetic changes. And I said, yeah, we kind of do <laughs> because we're able to understand what, what evolution did in other species and in other plants and then emulate those changes where we'd like them. And she was objecting to that. And, uh, you know, I, and I pointed out the fact that gene editing has come a long way in um, in very early stages in treating things like childhood leukemias. And mm-hmm. so lots of good things going on in that space. When we look at the regulatory climate, where is it now and where do you see it going? The first applications of this technology, we're sort of modifying, you know, one gene at a time or making a few subtle changes uh, to the genome. But soon we're going to be able to edit multiple genes and multiple genes uh, simultaneously. So, uh, you know, it's, a, it's new technology and it's opening up really a whole new field. Um, and so it'll be interesting to, to monitor uh, regulatory policy and, and how, it, um, how it develops around this technology. Um, again, I, I'm all about responsible uh, regulation. And uh, because this field is just burgeoning, I mean, there's just break, new breakthroughs every day. Uh, the regulators, I think, in some sense, they're doing a they're doing a great job, but <laughs> we scientists are scrambling to keep up, and the regulators are are right behind us as well. What is happening in other countries with this same kind of technology? Are other people using talons in places like China? Yeah, so uh, definitely, there are scientists around the world uh, deploying this this technology, um, and. Uh, in, in many ways, in terms of regulatory policy, uh, the U.S. is, in, in many respects, sort of leading the way. Um, both the USDA and the FDA um, this past year had a public comment period. Um, the USDA proposed some framework for regulation and asked for the public to, to comment on it. I think it's a very science-based uh, proposal, um, what would be regulated and what would be not. I would say that... Um, the bottom line is that if the genetic variation could occur in nature uh, through natural processes or spontaneously or through unregulated processes like chemical mutagenesis, then the products created through gene editing, if, if they sort of are similar to what could occur naturally, uh, then they shouldn't be regulated. A few other countries have, have followed suit. Um, so the soybean variety I told you about, we obtained regulatory clearance in, in Argentina so that we could grow the soybean there. Mm-hmm. And uh, and other uh, other countries are are carefully evaluating the technology and, and creating a regulatory framework around it. Well, thank you very much for spending the time with us today. Is If people wanted to learn more about Calix or more about your work, where would they look in either online or in social media? Well, I think a, a great place to begin with is our company website at, at uh, calix.com. Um, there we sort of talk about the technology and also describe some of the first uh, products um, that we're creating. Yeah, it's really nice because you can see all of the different uh, products that are being worked on and where, how they're moving through the uh, regulatory framework and through the different pipelines. And so you really see a, a, a rich diversity of products that are coming through your company and really looks like a, uh, um, a really what will be a formidable um, f- 
force in providing food going forward and seeds going forward. It looks like great technology. So um, everyone should take a peek there. Um, so Dr. Dan Voitas, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast and you know, really wish you well and check back anytime you guys have a big breakthrough you'd like to share. Well, thank you very much for your time today. It's been a real, a real pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. Please send your suggestions for guests, comments, or questions to talkingbiotech at gmail.com. Please write a review on iTunes and recommend this podcast to a friend. More downloads and reviews raise the visibility of this podcast and help us reach a wider audience with science. You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra, the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, scientists can work together in real time, sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at calabra.app, C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.